This is the Bible Book Club. And we're in the book of Numbers. Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. Last episode was a jump back to the narrative of Moses' story. And I say jump back because the Bible is now picking up where the story left off back in Exodus 40. Moses has set up the tabernacle, and this was a really big deal for the nation of Israel because they're celebrating and they're honoring God, thanking him for saving them from slavery in Egypt. So now they are back to this point where they have all of these celebrations and holidays that God's laying out for them to execute once a year or however often he tells them to do to honor him. Now, God can dwell among his people, and that is great news. The last thing that happened is the ceremonial cleanse. The Levites are installed, and they are told that they are now responsible for everything that happens when the tabernacle needs to move. Correct. It was a big episode for sure. We covered a lot of ground. Today, we are actually going to celebrate the second Passover. So in our story timeline, it is exactly one year since the Israelites were liberated from Egypt at the very first Passover, where they actually physically put the blood of the lamb over their doorpost. The Passover feast is a ritual that is still practiced by Jews. Ritual plays a really important role in most religions. Now, the purpose for rituals is this. When a person or organization wants to convey something really important, they write it down. That is why we have books. That is why we have the Bible, because there are certain things that need to be remembered. A ritual actually goes beyond reading a book. It is a visual and physical experience where the people become active participants, creating a deeper, more emotional response. They remember it. The young nation of Israel didn't have books. This was before the printing press and clearly had a very short memory, as we learned in Exodus from the golden calf incident. Remember, Moses only went up to the mountain for a few days and they forgot all about him. Therefore, the people need to regularly see and be reminded of what God had done for them. They needed rituals. The Passover was a ritual involving the retelling of the story of the redemption of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. That story is still told today at the Passover. Today, we have rituals such as the Lord's Supper that remind us of the sacrifice Jesus made so that we don't have to sacrifice animals. When we take the bread and wine of communion, representing Jesus's body and blood, we remember how priceless his sacrifice was for us. That's probably the most common ritual for Christianity. The Passover was and is a ritual to remember how God saved Israel, just as the Lord's Supper is a ritual to remember how Jesus saved us. Okay, starting off in chapter 9. The Lord spoke to Moses in the desert of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they came out of Egypt. He said, Have the Israelites celebrate the Passover at the appointed time. Celebrate it at the appointed time at twilight on the 14th day of this month in accordance with all the rules and regulations. So, 
Moses told the Israelites to celebrate the Passover, and they did. In the desert of Sinai at twilight on the 14th day of the first month, the Israelites did everything just as the Lord commanded Moses. So the Passover began on the 14th day of the first month around April and lasted for 14 days. Now, for the first time, the Lord's going to explain the Passover makeup day. Verse 6, but some of them could not celebrate the Passover on that day because they were ceremonially unclean on account of a dead body. So they came to Moses and Aaron that same day and said to Moses, we've become unclean because of a dead body, but why should we be kept from presenting the Lord's offering with the other Israelites at the appointed time? Moses answered them, wait until I find out what the Lord commands concerning you. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites when any of you or your descendants are unclean because of a dead body or are away on a journey, they're still to celebrate the Lord's Passover, but they are to do it on the 14th day of the second month at twilight. They are to eat the lamb together with the unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They must not leave any of it until morning or break any of its bones. When they celebrate the Passover, they must follow all the regulations. But if anyone who is ceremonially clean and not on a journey fails to celebrate the Passover, they must be cut off from their people for not presenting the Lord's offering at the appointed time. They will bear the consequences of their sin. This is a great example that God is not unreasonable when our requests come from a pure heart. Some people were being excluded from celebrating the Passover because they were unclean. You know, they had a skin disease or something like that and had to be kept outside the camp or they were out of town traveling. And they really regretted missing the Passover so much that they boldly went to Moses and expressed their concern. The desire of these people to participate pleased God. They did not want to miss taking part in the covenant rituals. This is a novel type of complaint for the Israelites. It's actually a positive complaint. Moses takes the request to God, demonstrating his spiritual leadership and desire to meet the needs of the people he leads and his trust and faith in our approachable God. God agrees and provides a solution. This approach was used often by Abraham, who had the tendency to question God, if you'll remember back in season one. But God always answered because Abraham's questions were for the good of others and not just complaints for uh, about himself. I like that you brought up the point about the pure heart. Yeah. And I wonder if there's an application that the listeners can take from this lesson here and apply it in their own lives today, maybe with having to go to church or their desire to go to church if they're out of town and how can they then still honor God in that way or something like that. Is there something that God's called you to that you may be unable to do? What is an alternative that mm-hmm. you, from coming from a place of a pure heart, you can still honor God in the way that he's asked you to do it? Well, that was my thought. I wonder what would happen if we remembered to take all of our requests to God after, of course, carefully searching our hearts to make sure that our motive was pure. But instead, we so often try to find our own solutions instead of going to him and asking him. Guilty as charged. Yeah, (laughs) which they didn't. They went to Moses. All right. God includes also a few new details about the Passover that we in the passage we just read. He said, there's no leftovers. You got to eat it all that night. And then he said this interesting things. No broken bones. Don't break the, the lamb's bones. Now, when Jesus, our Passover lamb, is crucified, John refers to this. He, he states in chapter 19 that no bones of Jesus's were broken, ensuring that Jesus fit that 
description of the perfect sacrifice for us. It said in verse 1933, but when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. And isn't it because it was customary for them to break the bones? Well, they said he was already dead. So in a crucifixion, what happens is you literally suffocate. And if you were, they push up so their their feet are nailed to the cross, but they kind of push up so they could breathe and get a a little bit above their arms. But if they're so, if they're still alive um, and the soldiers wanted to be done with it, they would break their legs so that they couldn't push up. But Jesus was already dead, so they didn't have to break his legs. All right. Another thing that is brought up in this Passover is that it is for everyone. Verse 14, a foreigner residing among you is also to celebrate the Lord's Passover in accordance with its rules and regulations. You must have the same regulations for both the foreigner and the native born. This inclusive provision was an opportunity for a foreigner who had come to faith in God and probably was living amongst the Israelites to participate in worship. Okay, our next section I called Follow the Cloud may sound familiar. This is not the first time the Israelites have experienced the cloud. The cloud as a guide began in Exodus on their journey to freedom from Egypt. Now it will guide them on their journey to the promised land. The cloud was the dramatic and visible sign of the presence of the Lord. And it is a good thing because the Israelites, for them, it's out of sight, out of mind. So having this cloud always before them was a great thing. It was a symbol that must have brought very mixed emotions to the Israelites, though. It was awe-inspiring, but unnerving. It was protective, but it was also frightening. Remember, the cloud had descended on the mountain. Mountain when when Moses um, brought them to the edge of the mountain and it was scary. It was full of lightning and, and thunder. So it could be protective, but it could also be really firm with them. Living in the desert as they were, the cloud was also a physical comfort. It kept them cool in the day by acting like an umbrella from the hot sun and warm at night like a giant bonfire in the middle of a campout. The cloud was a symbol of safety. It was a superpower nightlight for the millions of people living in a very dark desert. The verses about the cloud are somewhat poetic and repetitive. It almost seems as if they were written as if to a child, needing to drive home through repetition, some very simple facts. Verse 15, on the day the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. And here's the kind of refrain. It says, at the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. 
At the Lord's command, they would encamp, and then at his command, they would set out. Sometimes the clouds stayed only from evening till morning, and when it lifted in the morning, they set out. Whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. Whenever the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in the camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. At the Lord's command, they encamped, and at the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with his command through Moses. It was super clear that they do not move without the Lord's command. Following the cloud was a lesson in trust. When the cloud lifted, they moved. When it settled, they camped. At the Lord's command, they set out, and at his command, they camped. Just like the children's game, Red Light, Green Light, or Mother May I, God is teaching his children to trust and obey his commands, period. However, this was not a game. This was a march to war. Remember, the whole purpose of this camp, this army, this census they took was because they were preparing to fight and it was dangerous to move the camp. The Levites were risking their lives just taking down and transporting the tabernacle. One wrong move could be death. Now note, the lesson to trust and obey seems simple if you have a visible cloud in front of you to follow. How do we follow the invisible Holy Spirit? Because that's what the cloud represented. The Israelites watched and waited for the cloud. Are we attentive enough to see the Holy Spirit moving in our lives? And are we patient enough to wait for him to move first? Here's how you hear him move. You get into the word of God. Mm -hmm. And when you have things going on in your life, when you open up that book, he will tell you what he wants you to do. It might be a story about God telling the Israelites to set out or not, but it's also a lesson for you in that moment. And then you just have to open up your heart and your spirit to know what it is that he's telling you to do in that moment. That's your visible cloud, the word of God. And congratulations, because you're listening to the Bible Book Club and (laughs) you're hearing it. Exactly. Moving on to chapter 10, we have the introduction of the silver trumpets. These are the very last instructions given at Mount Sinai. The trumpets were to be the coordinating signal of when the camp should move. Chapter 10. The Lord said to Moses, make two trumpets of hammered silver and use them for calling the community together and for having the camp set out. When both are sounded, the whole community is to assemble before you at the entrance of the tent of meeting. If only one is sounded, the leaders, the heads of the clans of Israel are to assemble before you. When a trumpet blast is sounded, the tribes camping on the east are to set out. At the sounding of the second blast, the camp on the south are to set out. The blast will be the signal for setting out. To gather the assembly, blow the trumpets, but not with the signal for setting out. The sons of Aaron, the priests, are to blow the trumpets. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you and the generations to come. When you go into battle in your own land against an enemy who is oppressing you, sound a blast on the trumpets. Then you will be remembered by the Lord your God and rescued from your enemies. Also, at your times of rejoicing, your appointed festivals and new moon feasts, you are to sound the trumpets over your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, and they will be a memorial for you before your God. 
I am the Lord your God. The trumpets were described by Josephus, who was a prominent first century Jewish historian, as straight pipes with a flared opening at the end about 18 inches long. The trumpets signaled several commands. The first was assemble at the sanctuary. This was two long blasts on two trumpets or a long, long on one if it was just the leaders who were to come. The second signal was move the camp. The first short blast, the tribes on the east moved. The second short blast, the tribes on the south. The third short blast, the tribes on the west. And the fourth short, the tribes on the north. The third way the trumpets were used was to go to war. And this was one short blast. Now to celebrate, it was a long blast. Note there was a little pattern here. The long blasts are for non-urgent assembling and celebrating. The short blasts involve moving out to war. This is not a drill anymore. Whenever they move, it will be a march. The military census was taken in Numbers 1 and now 20 days later. We kind of forget that Numbers 1 was just 20 days before this chapter. After a year of instruction at Mount Sinai, they have become one nation under God, ready to claim the promised land. Now, trumpets are used throughout the Bible. In fact, the topic of trumpets is worthy of an entire podcast. If only we had time, I would do it. Trumpets are mentioned 114 times in the Bible, and I loved learning about this. The book with the most mentions is actually Revelations, where trumpets are used 15 different times. The very first biblical mention of a trumpet is part of our storyline about Moses. It was when God called the Israelites to meet with him in Exodus 19. It says in verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The last mention of trumpets in the Bible is huge. So this was the first note, loud trumpet blast, thunder, lightning, trembling, scary. The last mention in the Bible of trumpets marks the time when Christ will rule the world for eternity. And of course, this announcement is made by the seventh angel, God's number of completion. In Revelations eleven fifteen. the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven, which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you. Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power 
and have begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumbles, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. This is a full circle moment in the Bible. In the beginning of Israel, the Lord called the Israelites in Exodus with a supernatural trumpet blast. It hadn't been made yet. This was supernatural trumpet. Thunder and lightning to build his tabernacle Put the ark in it and be his chosen people to carry light and life and the glory of God to the world. And in the end of the battle for God's people on earth in Revelations, the Lord will once again appear with a trumpet, lightning and thunder, not to build the tabernacle, but to show us the perfect tabernacle. The heavens will open and God will reveal his perfect temple in heaven and we will see the ark of his covenant. As always, it is the Apostle Paul who sums it all up in Hebrews 12. Paul takes the readers from beginning in Exodus to the end in Revelations, from the mountain of Sinai to the mountain of Zion. This is what he says. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched like Sinai he's talking about, and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. This was all in Exodus. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But, says Paul, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. This is back on Mount Sinai. But now he has promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Do you see the parallel there? He's talking about how fearful the Israelites were when the mountain of Sinai shook. 
And God spoke to them and said they couldn't touch the mountain or they would die. Compared to Mount Zion, where we're going to approach the throne and we're going to be able to see the ark, not hidden. It will no longer be hidden in a tabernacle where nobody but the high priest can see it. We're going to see it. We're going to understand all the mysteries of God. And don't you think that when Paul wrote that, the Israelites were like, oh, yeah, sure. We're going to be able to go look at the, yeah. <laughs> the tabernacle. Yeah. We were told that we would die if we yeah. look at the tabernacle. I promise you. I read this part of Paul. I never really equated it to what all the detail that we've learned now yeah. so far in these first four books of the Bible. You have to admire Paul, however. He's so serious. He draws people in with this beautiful image of joyful Zion. And then at the end, he reminds them to be thankful and reverent or be consumed by fire. <laughs> he's so, he scares me. Paul scares me. <laughs> he always brings it back with a little bit of a threat. Okay, the march begins. Here we go. From Sinai to Kadesh, we are moving the camp. Now, our timeline is in the show notes. We're going to put it in there again. Um, After these 11 months at Sinai, it's time to go. You can look at where we are in the timeline. Map 29, I'm going to put it in the show notes. Follow the red route. It is about 150 miles from Sinai to Kadesh. And there are going to be three stops mentioned on the way, Tabera, Kilbroth Hatava, and Hazaroth. Now, last thing I'm putting in the show notes for now, drawing, the drawing of the camp, which is so cool because the tribes are going to be described in these next verses as moving in those groups of three tribes in a group, four groups total. But after the first group, which is led by Judah, the Gershonites and Merites, their Levites, are going to carry the tent. So they're going to go after the first group of three tribes. Then the second group of tribes led by Reuben is going to go. Then the Kohathite Levites carrying the ark and holy things are going to go. And then lastly, the other two sets of three tribes each are going to go. And and they did it this way. Uh, Heather's going to read it, but it's really fast. They did it this way. So when they arrive at their new location... The three tribes Judah will go first, then the guys carrying all the tent will go and they'll be setting up as the next three tribes arrive and then after them, the ark. So by the time the ark gets there, the tabernacle is already set up. That's how long it took them to travel. I, I, I kind of imagine that it was like, you know, the first group would be on day one and the, the last group wouldn't have arrived till like three days later. Mm-hmm. It's a slow process. Can you imagine you're in, right in the middle of cooking dinner and that darn thing blasts? Oh, yeah, that would and be like, infuriating. I can't imagine, you know, having to pack all my stuff. Um, With just that notice of the one blast. trumpet. Yeah. yeah. Although if it's not a wartime, I wonder if they had that lo- that that calling the leaders blast first and then you're kind of like heads up the leaders are all going to the tabernacle to talk what's going on i'm not making dinner we're having leftovers because we (laughs) might be on the move you know i'd be like starting to put my stuff together i'd be like oh i better clean up quick we could be rolling this tent up. Verse 11. On the 20th day of the second month of the second year, the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle of the covenant law. Then the Israelites set out from the desert of Sinai and traveled from place to place until the cloud came to rest in the desert of Paran. They set out this first time at the Lord's command through Moses. The divisions of the camp of Judah went first under their standard. 
Nashon, son of Amminadab, was in command. Nathaniel, son of Zuar, was over the division of the tribe of Issachar. And Eliab, son of Helon, was over the division of the tribe of Zebulun. Then the tabernacle was taken down, and the Gershonites and Merorites who carried it set out. The divisions of the camp of Reuben went next, under their standard. Elizer, son of Shadur, was in command. Shelemiel, son of Jerazadai, was over the division of the tribe of Simeon. And Eliasaph, son of Duel, was over the division of the tribe of Gad. Then the Kohathites set out, carrying the holy things. The tabernacle was to be set up before they arrived. The divisions of the camp of Ephraim went next, under their standard. Elishma, son of Amahud, was in command. Gamaliel, son of Pedajor, was over the division of the tribe of Manasseh. And Abaddon, son of Gideonai, was over the division of the tribe of Benjamin. Finally, as the rear guard for all the units, the divisions of the camp of Dan set out under their standard. Azir, son of Amishadai, was in command. Pagel, son of Okran, was over the division of the tribe of Asher. And Ahira, son of Inan, was over the division of the tribe of Naphtali. This was the order of march for the Israelite divisions as they set out. Next, we have a story of choices. And we haven't had a story of choices in a while, but they are all throughout the Old Testament. Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel, Abraham, Noah, all had so many huge choices. And we've discussed those, and there's so many more to come. Joshua, David, Abigail, Ruth, Esther are all going to make important choices. Lives are journeys down a path, and at every turn, there is a choice. We have talked about choices in every single season of Bible Book Club, and I'm going to have um, Haley put in our notes, our show notes, the printable that we have. It's called The Path to Right and Wrong, and it, it really is a good example of how choices work in, in our daily life and how we have to make the right ones. In this story, Hobab, Moses's wife's brother, also son of his father-in-law, Rule, who rules also known as Jethro. I don't know why he has two names, but he does. Hobab has a choice to make. Verse 29, now Moses said to Hobab, son of Ruel, the Midianite, Moses's father-in-law, we are setting out for the place about which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will treat you well, for the Lord has promised good things to Israel. He answered, no, I will not go. I am going back to my own land and my own people. But Moses said, please do not leave us. You know where we should camp in the wilderness and you can be our eyes. If you come with us, we will share with you whatever good things the Lord gives us. Now, Moses has the cloud for a guide and knows that God would always provide and give them direction. Yet Moses also recognizes as a good leader that God wants active participants and that people need to have a purpose. So Moses invites this outsider, Hobab, who's Zipporah's brother, who was a Midianite, to join them. The Midianites were descendants of Abraham, but from his wife, Keturah, not Sarah. So they were slightly related. Hobab refuses until Moses offers the promise to share in whatever good the Lord gives us. Hobab makes the right choice 
And in his compliance, he is like Ruth, leaving all behind his home and everything for the promise of something he has found to be true, God's promise. And true to Moses' word, we know from Judges 1 that Hobeb's people did indeed live among the tribe of Judah in the promised land. Verse 33, so they set out from the mountain of the Lord and traveled for three days. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them during those three days to find them a place to rest. The cloud of the Lord was over them by day when they set out from the camp. Whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Rise up, Lord. May your enemies be scattered. May your foes flee before you. Whenever it came to rest, he said, Return, Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. And so the Israelites are off. This day in Moses' timeline marks the beginning of 38 years of roaming in the wilderness. He doesn't know that yet. This day also marks the second of three stages of Israel's journey. The first stage was the journey from Egypt to Sinai. The second is the one we're on from Sinai to Kadesh. And the third is from Kadesh to Moab. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. Club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to SusanMe.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio. Edited by Buck Buchanan. Produced by Haley Mawatt.